The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode 108 of the podcast, or you're joining us here on YouTube. Today is Sunday, September the 16th, and we are fresh off of the UFC's maiden voyage to Mother Russia, the first event ever held in Moscow. Before we get too deep into that, and a boxing event that took place last night that I don't really give a shit about, let me introduce my co-host sitting in his favorite WWE chair, all the way from New Jersey, Jeff, the Animal Wilson. Jeff, how are you doing on this Sunday afternoon, my friend? Bill, I am awesome. I'm getting ready for a WWE event later tonight, actually. So I want to see how much smaller Brock Lesnar is since the last time we saw him because he's uh, coming off a cycle. And uh, there's some – dude, his body's already – it's been like maybe a month and a half, and his body just looks – like it, somebody's grandmother without nice. steroids. Nice. Hey, that would be a pretty jacked grandmother still. Uh, <laughs> maybe he's going <laughs> to come out in like one of those Andre the Giant singlets that like holds his tits in place. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> in any case, report back to us on that next week. Um, so I wanted to kick off with a little story today, Jeff. As you're well aware and as some longtime listeners are aware, but I don't talk about it too often. I was a firefighter for many years back in New York, spent uh, six years in the engine company at Larchmont, New York. Engine 34 was the rig that I rode on. I saw a lot of crazy shit during that time, Jeff. It was a really fun time in my life and, uh, you know, some crazy memories that are going to stick with me forever. One of the most traumatic was in 2012, and I'm sure you remember this time. It was Hurricane Sandy. It was October. And uh, this thing, uh, you know, tore up the whole East Coast of the United States. And it did a lot of damage down in Jamaica, Puerto Rico, Cuba, Dominican Republic. But, um, you know, in New York, you don't deal with hurricanes very much. And I remember this night so clearly. But at the same time, it was the biggest blur because I was uh, – I, I did an overnight at the fire department and there was a bunch of us there so we could be on shifts. Obviously there was a lot of emergency calls, uh, in the middle of the night. So every time I, uh, I laid my head down and closed my eyes, it felt like the alarm went off again and we were back on the rig. I saw a lot of crazy things that night, Jeff. I saw people's houses get flooded and, uh, you know, we had to make sure they got out of there safely. I saw a house get cut in half by a tree that fell on it literally a two-story house split completely in half and uh it was just up and down the whole night and the next day just one tragedy after the next and just trying to do everything we could to help people stay safe from down wires and flooded streets and flooded houses and then we spent the next couple of weeks pumping people's basements out and it was it was uh it was exciting it was terrifying and it was exhausting. And I bring this story up for a couple of reasons. It's relevant now. Obviously, there's a lot of people going through uh, Hurricane Florence right now in the Carolinas. Of course, we hope everybody's staying safe down there. And I feel like they're going through a lot of the same things. So I, I can relate uh, to how they're probably feeling. The other reason I bring it up, Jeff, is because as traumatic as Hurricane Sandy was and as much of a blur and how exhausting it was having a eight month old baby with a fever is by far worse <laughs> than, than being a firefighter in one of the worst natural disasters in the history of the state of New York. Uh, so that's what I've been dealing with here on the home front, Jeff uh, babies had uh, up to 103 degree fever. And just up all night and and snot and boogers everywhere, congestion. And, you know, she can't even tell you what's wrong. It's just 
awful and terrible. And um, I, I can't imagine people who are going through all these natural disasters and have babies because it it's it's really it's a tough situation. Uh, you know, both babies and natural disasters, and they have a lot of similarities. So that that's the point I was getting to, Jeff. Um, so sick baby on the home front. On top of everything else, she got bit by some mosquitoes last night, and now she looks like uh, she just got out of an MMA fight. She got bit by one. It was like right on the eyelid. <laughs> Her eyes all swollen. She looks like the Rocky movie where he, he asked Mick to, to cut the hematoma over his eye. Cut me, Mick. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to make light of the situation, but the point I'm getting to is I'm exhausted, Jeff. I'm running on fumes, but I'm ready to break down some MMA. We had a we had a really awesome card. Uh, this was a historic event, uh, UFC Fight Night 136 from Moscow, Russia, and I, I think in a lot of ways this event fell flat because they didn't, um, you know, they didn't get the headliner they wanted in Khabib. Obviously he would have been the ideal person to have headlining this card. And it, it's just not, uh, it's not the kind of event that's going to get the casual fan off the couch here in the States, but it seemed like it was really successful. They had a, a packed arena in moscow and they got a great night of fights over there so hopefully it's not the last time the ufc heads over there uh what were your thoughts jeff when you first saw this card on paper and what are your thoughts now that the event has passed so bill initially i wasn't very excited for this card uh i see maybe three or four names that i recognize and look forward to seeing but bill i'm not gonna lie to you i thought that the card itself was pretty good there were a lot of decisions there was some controversy um it looked like the crowd was into it i think that uh the crowd it was it was crazy because it was like the Japanese crowds where they were really silent and just observing the fights and of course they'd get excited when somebody landed a hard shot but overall it looked like a really good um, uh, dry run for for Russia, um, you know, for a future pay-per-view there. I think that, uh, you know, if Khabib were to headline a pay-per-view there, I think they'd get, obviously, a much bigger reaction. But I thought, overall, it was, it was pretty successful. It looked like, a, like uh, people who were there had a good time. Yeah, and, and Russian fighters, I believe, only two losses on the night, and there were uh, maybe 10 of them on the card. Uh, I'm not too big on statistics, so I, I didn't actually do the math, but ballparking there was a good night for the Russians. Uh, uh, you know, they were able to put on a good show for the hometown crowd. And we had a really great main event that was way better than I expected. Uh, I, I was not expecting to see Mark Hunt get submitted. Um, and, but at the same time, you can't doubt the squeeze of Alexi Olenek. This guy is unreal. He's able to do things grappling wise that we haven't seen in the UFC or the jiu-jitsu world or anywhere else. The guy just has a, a squeeze that, that can't be denied. Uh, I, I mean, to choke out a guy like Mark Hunt, who barely has a neck and the, and the way he did it, doing it on one leg after Mark Hunt destroyed his shin uh, with leg kicks uh, it, it was looking pretty gruesome for Olenek, and he took one of Mark Hunt's big bombs, one of those overhand rights that have put down some of the best heavyweights ever, uh, it, and given Mark Hunt some of his trademark walk-off walk, walk off knockouts. Uh, Olenek walked right through it. The way he took Mark Hunt down, and, and not just being able to take him down, he, take, he took him down effortlessly with, with a body lock drag from behind, and then Mark Hunt, really difficult to take down, even more difficult to hold down, usually springs right back up. The way Olenek immediately put pressure on Mark Hunt's lower back and his hips and, and didn't allow him to spring back up to his feet, possibly more impressive than the actual choke itself. Because once he got into the position, uh, he didn't even have the right angle for this rear naked choke. But the guy just has such a vicious squeeze that once he gets his arms around your neck, it doesn't matter what position he's in. And we saw something similar in the co-main event with Jan Blachowicz and Nikita Krylov, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, Jeff, 
you're a jujitsu guy. How impressed were you with the squeeze and the wrestling of Alexi Olenek here? Yeah, super impressed, dude. I mean, Mark Hunt was doing a good job of fighting off the hands at first. And then as soon as he stopped fighting off the hands for like a second, Olenek just put on that python squeeze, dude. Um, and he tapped instantly. It, it was crazy. And and that's that's really high-level grappling, dude. You, you don't see that every day. And... I'm excited to see what's next for Olenek because he has admitted that he's getting up there in years. He doesn't have the the time to fight one or two fights a year and work his way up the rankings. He wants a top guy. So, Bill, what do you see next for Alexi Olenek? Do you give him like a top 10 ranked guy? Uh, I, I mean, I think you have to at this point coming off two wins in a row over Mark Hunt and Junior Albini, who, who are some of the top names in the heavyweight division. And then, you know, a nasty choke over Travis Brown. And, uh, you know, his last loss was a, a doctor stoppage against Curtis Blades. I, I don't really know what you do with Olenek here. I mean, here's a guy who you would like to see fight for the title just because of his grappling ability, but there's no way it's going to happen anytime soon because you have such a bottleneck in this division. You have Daniel Cormier uh, waiting for Brock Lesnar uh, to go through his testing process, which won't be done until January. So we won't be seeing a, a heavyweight championship fight until New Year's, after New Year's, uh, most likely. I don't think they're going to give him somebody like Stipe and jeopardize you know, Stipe getting a title shot uh, after Cormier and Lesnar is finished. Uh, it, it's really hard to say what you do with Olenek here. Uh, I mean, if you're looking to dispose of Francis Ngannou, maybe, <laughs> maybe do it to him. Uh, now that his wrestling has been exposed, um, I, I would love to have seen Olenek against Fabricio Redoom. That would have been an awesome matchup, but unfortunately he fucked up and tested positive for steroids. So Redoom now going to be, on the sideline for two years, likely ending his uh, historic career and really tarnishing his legacy um, by by going out uh, on such a sour note. But uh, that that would have been a really awesome, really awesome matchup. But I mean, here's a guy with 69 professional fights, and and giggle if you must at that. But uh, he has he has tapped out like some of the some of the top grapplers. I mean, Jeff Munson. Among them, uh, for you old school fans of MMA, Jeff Munson, one of the best grapplers in the history of the sport. Uh, this guy has just been choking people out. 12 Ezekiel chokes uh, in his MMA career throughout 69 fights, which is insane because an Ezekiel choke is not even a choke that's prevalent in non-gi jiu-jitsu. Uh, so those of you who aren't practitioners of jiu-jitsu, um, traditionally practiced in a gi or a kimono uh you know those crazy pajamas that you see the old karate guys wear that's what the brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners wear and the ezekiel is a choke that involves using the collar of the gi to choke your opponent and there, there's only one or two positions you could really even hit that choke from in a gi and this guy is hit it from every angle without the help of the gi um i, I can't stress enough how impressive uh, it is and how incredible his squeeze is. And I hope he doesn't uh, fly under the radar in the conversation of, of the greatest heavyweights on the planet right now. And I, to answer your question, Jeff, I know I took a really back road way of answering it at 41 years of age. I don't think we ever see Alexi Olenek uh, seeing a title shot. And that's a shame because he really is one of the most talented grapplers and fighters on the planet right now, but I would like to see him get another high profile fight. It was awesome to see him not only get a main event, but win that main event and bring a legend like Mark hunt to a 500 record at 13 wins and 13 losses. Uh, so really incredible performance by Alexi Olin. I can't stress it enough. Uh, did you have something in mind that you would like to see next for him? Um, honestly, I'm thinking either Marcin Tabura or, um, What's his name? Tai Tuivasa. Um, I think that those are some really interesting matchups for him, especially Tai Tuivasa, who is a really good striker. He can kind of hit you from anywhere. Uh, so I'd really like to see them get it on. Yeah, that would be interesting. Uh, 
I know the UFC is trying to build tie up. So I, I don't know how tie up. I see what I did there. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know if they would risk putting those two in there together because Olenek is just such a wild card and he just beats people he's not supposed to beat. Uh, as for Mark Hunt, I believe, I may be talking out of turn here, I believe that was the last fight on his UFC contract. So I don't believe, although he avoided this question from Nan Hardy, I don't believe we'll ever see Mark Hunt fight in the UFC again uh, just because of the legal troubles he's brought into the ufc i don't see them really offering the money that he thinks he's worth or offering anything at all just because he's been such a headache uh with his lawsuits and everything like that of course suing the ufc for letting him get in the octagon with a juiced up brock lesnar uh who who seems whose name uh seems to keep getting inserted in the conversation even though he hasn't been in the ufc in a long time um so I, I believe we'll see Mark Hunt uh, possibly emerge in Bellator, which would be really fun because they have their heavyweight Grand Prix going on right now. A lot of interesting matchups for him there. Um, you know, a lot of weak chins that he could get in there and demolish. Um, uh, he's one of these fan favorites that, you, you know, people will watch him wherever he goes. So uh, any organization will be lucky to get a hold of him. Maybe... Maybe the PFL will snatch him up and and put him in the next uh, in the next tournament next year, and he can win himself a million bucks uh, since he probably won't win his lawsuit against the UFC. Uh, <laughs> uh, what <laughs> what what are your thoughts on what's next for Mark Hunt before we move on here, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, I'm basically got the same mindset as you do right now. I don't think that the UFC is going to offer Mark Hunt anything substantial that would you know warrant him staying so i i think um we're gonna see mark hunt out the door but dude i i like the matchups in bellator i'd love to see him in the pfl if the pfl is still around uh, i feel like offering a million bucks to their champions is a lot so hopefully they can you know generate some revenue uh to justify that but either way man um like you said i think mark hunt is is a fighter that people really enjoy watching and i think wherever he goes he's still gonna have a lot of fans with eyes on him yeah yeah i mean 13 wins and 13 losses but uh scarcely a, a boring fight amongst them I, I can't really remember one he he's one who put everything on the line every time he got in there and i think that's why he's remained a fan favorite um <clears throat> let's move on to the co event uh yan blahovich and nikita krilov uh, I, I was anticipating this one to be a stand-up war, and uh, Krylov came out of the gate uh, as a quick starter, which was to be expected. Uh, he's a much quicker starter than Blahovich, who's known for uh, you know kind of pacing himself a little bit more and, and feeling his opponents out. Uh, but Krylov coming off uh, a lot of quick knockouts in his last three fights, and, and then a, a quick uh, guillotine finish in the fight just before uh, that knockout streak. But I was really anticipating a stand-up war here, Jeff. And surprisingly, Krilov was the one to take the fight to the ground, which surprised me even more. I think he was just trying to throw Jan Blachowicz off of his game, and uh, it didn't work out for him. So what were your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, dude, this fight was really interesting. Uh, it looked like Nikita Krylov had the right game plan, taking uh Blahovich down and Blahovich doing a good job of throwing up submissions from the bottom, uh, really being offensive from there. And he capitalized on a couple of mistakes from Krylov. And dude, at the end, he put on this squeeze. It was like a like an arm triangle, rear naked choke, um, Darce. Uh, it was it was a really weird uh, position. But a lot of pressure on Krylov's neck from Blahovich, and he had to tap. But um. I think the most impressive thing for me was Blahovich's grappling, man. I, it looked like he was in a couple of bad spots when Krylov was on top, but he was able to create scrambles and end up uh, on top himself. So a uh, really good performance from both of these guys. Yeah, for sure. And that finish was was really impressive. It was somewhere between a rear naked choke and, and a head and arm choke or an arm triangle. And uh, again, and not the angle you typically see this kind of choke finished, but he's another one of these guys who just has one of those squeezes. And 
unless you've experienced it, it's really hard to explain to someone who is not a grappler because you see things that look unusual and you think, you, you may think to yourself, why did that guy tap to that? And until you've been in one of these chokes at one of these weird angles, uh, you can't really comprehend what it feels like to just have the life squeezed out of you. Um, so really unique, uh, really unique skill. And it's not something you could ever learn. You know, guys like Alexi Olenek and Jan Blahovich, they are just naturally gifted with a squeeze like this, or, or maybe it comes from, you know, millions of reput repetitions of chokes in the gym uh, over years and years and years. Uh, but I think there's just like a certain tendon strength and, and a certain, natural ability that these guys have who possess these squeezes. So that makes four wins in a row for Jan Blachowicz, who's calling out uh, Daniel Cormier. And he says, you got to do something with your belt. So defend it against me. Uh, there's not a chance in hell that this happens uh, just because Jan Blachowicz, uh, <laughs> doesn't have the name power uh, to fight someone like Cormier, especially at the end of his career, who's going to pick and choose his fights. And uh, we've said before that that fight will never uh, he's probably never going to fight at 205 again anyway. So he's going to end up vacating that belt sooner or later, as soon as they're able to put a big fight together. And, uh, you know, uh, a big fight is not going to include Jan Blachowicz. Uh, so he's going to have at least one more fight, especially with losses within his last six fights to Patrick Cummins and, uh, and a unanimous decision loss to Alexander Gustafson. Uh, so Gustafson obviously is a guy who's still ahead of him in line, uh, even though uh, nobody really wants to see Gustafson fight for the title <laughs> again. Uh, it's not something people are clamoring for. Um, uh, what would you like to see next for Jan Blahovic, who is fighting in a very empty light heavyweight division, Jeff? Hmm. So the only name that I can think of that I think would be an exciting fight is Jimmy Manoa, but he has a fight coming up, so I don't know if that would happen anytime soon. Um, but yeah, dude, I'm having a hard time. Um, oh, actually, forget it. I just thought of somebody. Um, I'm thinking probably Ovin St. Prue, unless they've fought each other before. Um, either hit OSP or Jimmy Manoa. I think those would be two really exciting fights for Jan Blachowicz. Yeah, OSP is the kind of the one that I, I've been thinking of, and um, at, I think that would be a really fun fight. He's actually fought Jimmy Manoa before, uh, but it was a close fight. It was a unanimous decision for Jimmy Manoa. I think if they fought again, it would go differently. And Jimmy Manoa fighting next week, so it, if he's able to get through Tiago Santos, we'll break down that fight in a little bit. If he's able to get through him. Uh, you know, fairly easily, then the time timing might uh, line up for a rematch. But yeah, I agree. Ovin St. Prue would be a fun fight with Jan Blachowicz. As for uh, Nikita Krylov, I don't think he's out of the running completely. Um, you know, he showed a lot of weaknesses on the ground, and if he had held on to the guillotine the way he did against Blachowicz, uh, against Ovin St. Prue, uh, he would have gone to sleep uh, much quicker in that fight. Because Ovin St. Prue, of course, known for the Von Flu, or now affectionately known as the Von Prue choke, uh, which is a counter to someone holding onto a guillotine too long, side control, and uh, basically getting put to sleep with shoulder pressure. All right, moving on. So exciting main event, exciting co-main event. The fight before that I thought was was pretty good, but um, it had its moments where it felt like it was moving through molasses where both of these fighters slowed down. I'm talking about Shamil Abdurahimov and Andre Arlovsky, who it would have been nice to see Arlovsky get a, a win in Russia, first time UFC going over there. Um, I don't believe it's the first time Andre has fought there. I think he fought in, in Russia in uh one of the past organizations uh, that's escaping me right now, but this was a close fight. Uh, I could see why the decision went to uh, Abdurahimov. It was a shame to see him fighting dirty with, you know, some eye pokes and really nasty knee to the groin. Uh, and then in the third round, he, I, I, I had it one apiece uh, going into the third. And then uh, both of these guys slowed down. They were fighting super flat footed and, and just, really looked exhausted. Arlovsky looked his age and Abdurahimov looked 
his fitness level. Uh, <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Yeah, I kind of had it the same way. It was kind of back and forth, but I, I could see why they gave the decision to uh, Abdurakimov. Um, and dude, Andre Arlovsky, man, he's been in there so many times. He's taken so much damage. His nose is in the shape of like a highway, kind of like a curvy highway or like an S shape. Uh, oh, man, he's just been in some wars, man. Um, but yeah, dude, I, I could see the decision kind of going either way, but I don't think Arlovsky necessarily got robbed uh, in this one. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the only reason I was pulling for Arlovsky is because of the cheap shots by Abdurahimov. And yeah, Arlovsky's nose moving just a little bit further across his face with every fight, it seems. And uh, I guess he's just waiting till his career is done to get that fixed. Or maybe he won't. Maybe he'll just leave it smeared across his face. Uh you know, like some roadkill. In any case, uh, it, the fight right before that, undefeated Alexei Kunchenko um, taking on Tiago Alves. This was a pretty technical fight, not too exciting. Um, Tiago Alves w with a big lump on his shin from checking a kick in the first round, and uh, that seemed to kind of slow him down for the rest of the fight. So Kunchenko running away with that one. Any thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Uh, no, I think Konchenko kind of went out there and it was like another day in the office for him. So, yeah, for uh, sure. on his part. yeah uh, he played it smart against uh, uh, a veteran like Tiago Alves. And I, I think Konchenko has got a bright future and, you know, he just used Tiago Alves as a stepping stone, which is, I think, what the UFC was hoping would happen in that fight. What nobody was hoping would happen ever uh was the fight before Khalid Murtazilev against CB Dalloway. Now, uh, I don't know about you, Jeff. This fight was infuriating for me. So but before we get to the unfortunate ending uh, at the end of the second round when CB Dalloway could not answer the bell for the third round at, at no fault of his own, uh, this was an interesting fight in the first round. We had some really technical grappling exchanges, some really great, uh, reversals from CB Dalloway. Um, it, you know, some great submission attempts. He's got a great guillotine. He's got a great, uh, Peruvian necktie. Uh, you know, these front headlock chokes that, that wrestlers are, are pretty well known for. And, uh, you know, he did okay on the feet. So in the second round, he was dropped by Khalid, and he took, I, I want to say, maybe 30 unnecessary blows. And referee Herb Dean, uh, I don't care what your opinion about him was, th there should be some kind of consequences for the way he refereed this fight. Uh, all three of the broadcasters were screaming that the fight should be stopped. Um, there was no need for this fight to go on. Uh, for at least the last 30 seconds of the second round. And then, of course, C.B. Dalloway not able to get up after the round was over, and Herb Dean was yelling at him, if you don't stand up, I'm going to stop the fight. And he yelled it a couple of times. Clearly, C.B. Dalloway was barely conscious, um, severely concussed by taking a lot of unnecessary damage. He was just shelled up on the floor, taking punches after punches after punches that he should not have taken. And this was disgustingly irresponsible refereeing by Herb Dean. Uh, so I don't know what else to say about it, Jeff. What were your thoughts when you watched this debacle here? Yeah, so, Bill, it started off really well. Like you said, it was super competitive. Uh, the grappling exchanges were awesome. Uh, it, you know, both men creating scrambles. And at one point, um, Murtazaliev went for um, – was trying to get under C.B. Dalloway, and Dalloway grabbed him and did a gut wrench, which is uh, where you grab – like just like uh, it sounds. You grab around a person's waist – and you hoist them up and flip them over. And um, Murtazaliev did an awesome job of, after getting flipped, he you know created a scramble and was able to get on top. So super impressive. I was I was really enjoying this fight. 
up until the end of the second round, I thought that Herb Dean, you know, I think he's a good ref most times, but I think he made a really, really big mistake in this one. Uh, Dalloway was just getting annihilated on the ground with shots from the from the top. And at one point he turned and was belly down and just um, had his hands over his head. I think that was a clear indication that this fight was over. And it definitely went on for longer than it should have. I think Herb Dean definitely had a mishap in this one. Um, and like you said, dude, when uh, when in between rounds after the second round ended, when Herb Dean was yelling at Dalloway, Dalloway, he clearly didn't even know where he was. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, Herb Dean, I think you dropped the ball on this one. You got to send us a text or something. Just let us know what happened, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it, and he's the one to blame here. I, I, I've heard a couple of different things. Obviously, you can't blame Murtazalev. He's doing his job. He's going until he's told to stop. Uh, and that's what he's supposed to do. If he were told to stop, I'm sure he would have immediately um so he's going to work some people blaming the corner of cb dalloway uh you know that's kind of tough i don't know where they were in relation to the action that was going on you know if they saw him shelling up down there uh you know maybe he was surviving a little better than they were able to see uh you don't always have the best vision from the corner this is all on herb dean he should have stopped this fight and this is one of those situations where uh you have to bring up the fact that there's no governing body of these athletic commissions uh, with the judging and the refereeing. There's nobody to step in and tell them when they did something wrong, when they got a, a decision, you know, way off or a referee made a really bad call. Uh, you know, a couple of Mara Yamasaki fights come to mind over the, over the past year or so. Um, there, there's no, there's no way to have any of these bad decisions reversed or, or take any action against these referees. And I think it's a very flawed system and we need to kind of look at it and evaluate it and put some sort of checks and balances in place, either, you know, some kind of, uh, some kind of challenge process where you can challenge decisions of referees or, or their, their, they face some kind of consequences, suspensions, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what else to do. Uh, I'm kind of at a loss for ideas right now. I'll have to put some more thought into it, but uh, I feel like these things can't just keep happening and we can't just keep saying, Oh, well that sucked. Uh, there's gotta be some kind of solution. I think there's gotta be, uh, you know, some organization that can can put this thing into balance here uh, with the athletic commissions and the refereeing and the judging. And, uh, you know, the judging hasn't been as terrible as boxing yet, but I think if we keep letting things slide, uh, we're headed in that direction. Uh, so uh, in any case, only two more fights that I really want to touch on, Jeff, and then uh, I'll let you chime in on these two and anything else you want to add to them. So Peter Yan and Jin Su Sun put on a really great fight. Uh, th this was really back and forth. Uh, Peter Yan, uh, Russian fighter who, uh, you know, looks, I guess, Chinese. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what his nationality actually is, but he considers himself Russian and he's got red hair. So this guy could pass for, uh, you know, any number of things. I'm sure he's very multilingual and he's a very talented fighter. Uh, this was an awesome fight. Uh, these two really slugged it out. Uh, I'd be excited to see either of them uh, back in the octagon, two really talented bantamweights. Uh, Peter Yan coming away with the victory, of course, very well-rounded fighter, and he moves to 10 and 1. Uh, so, yeah, it would be awesome to see him back in there. Only a second fight in the UFC and he got to fight, uh, in Moscow, which is really cool for him. And the other fight I want to mention Magomed Ankalev against Marcin Prochino. And this was a nasty head kick KO for Ankalev. Uh, one of them, probably the most devastating finish on this entire card. So if you missed the prelims, um, you know, there, there were some, some good fights on here, some solid fights, but if you only have to go back and watch one, I would recommend this one. Uh, all right. So your thoughts on either of these fights, Jeff, or was there another fight I'm missing 
that you would like to get into? Yeah, Bill. So uh, the Peter Yan versus Jin Su Son fight was really, really good. It was really back and forth. Um, I believe it won fight of the night, but uh, Jin Su Son missed weight. So he will not be getting that bonus. That is all for Peter Yan. Uh, but yeah, definitely a really good fight. Go back and check it out. And the Magomed Ankilov versus Marcin Prochnio fight was really good as well. Ankilov in the first round uh, landed this really nice head kick and just flattened Prochnio. It was awesome. So I just want to add, before I let you get in here, Bill, um, just one more fight that I would add to this is Marab uh, Valishvili versus Tarian Ware. I thought it was a really good fight, really dominant performance from uh, Valishvili, um, a really good display of wrestling. His chain wrestling was phenomenal, um, dominated the fight, and then he called out Shane O'Malley. Oh, Cool. Yeah, it's good to see Marab Devalishvili uh, in the win column in the UFC. Finally, he's had uh, you know a string of bad luck, you know, a, a poorly judged decision loss uh, in his debut, and then his last fight, of course, was the the terrible referee stoppage where he lasted through the bell of the third round while in a choke, and then the the fight was ruled a TKO loss for him uh, because of. Uh, Mark Goddard from like the third row saying like, Oh no, he was, he was definitely out even though he got up at the end of the third round was jogging around. Um, so I, I guess a little bit of justice for demolished Philly there. Uh, <clears throat> overall <clears throat> really solid card, you know, a lot of great fights, uh, definitely not disappointed in anything spectacular main event. Um, it, you know, one of the better main events you could ever hope for, for two guys in their forties, for sure. Uh, I thought it was really exciting fight, you know, really back and forth. It, it looked like all was done. And then he pulls these chokes out of nowhere, man. I, I can't give this guy enough praise. Um, and I don't think he gets enough of it. So that's, that's, you know, part of the reason why I have to do it more. So, so next week we have, uh, fight night 137 from Sao Paulo, Brazil. Now, a lot of people already talking about, of course, Conor McGregor and Khabib. Uh, we're not going to get into that until the week before. Um, you know, we don't, we don't hype fights like weeks and weeks ahead of time. It's not our job here. All we want to do is, is break down the thing that's directly in front of us. So we got fight night 137, then we have a week off. And at that point, we'll talk about Conor McGregor and uh, Khabib. So before that, we have a really awesome main event uh, in Sao Paulo coming up. So Tiago Santos moving up to light heavyweight, which I think is a great move for him because he's a big middleweight. He's got a lot of power. It'll be interesting to see how much power he brings up with him to 205. And he's stepping up against one of the biggest bangers in the division, Jimmy Manoa. This is an awesome, awesome main event fight. I don't think it's gotten nearly enough attention uh, I don't see any way that this fight is boring. These are two really exciting fighters who like to stand and strike. And uh, I think you would be wise to tune in to this one or at the very least set your DVRs next Saturday, the 22nd. Uh, thoughts on this main event here, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, I think that my only gripe with this main event is that it's not going to last for more than five minutes because <laughs> both of these guys hit hard. Um, Santos, I always remember him, Bill, because he's got that uh, Mjolnir Thor's hammer tattooed on his chest. But, man, uh, I think he's earned it, dude. He's got so much power in his hands, and the same goes for Jimmy Manuel. I think that at the drop of a penny, either of these guys can finish this fight really, really quick. Um, so that's my only issue is I don't think it's going to last very long. But, Bill, looking up and down this card, I'm seeing a lot of fighters that I know, a lot of fighters that uh, put on a really good performance. Um, Bill Charles Oliveira, the, um, he's on here. Cowboy Oliveira's on here. We have, uh, I think, Lil Nog is on here. Henan Bao is on here, Ronda Marcos, um, this chick from The Ultimate Fighter, what the heck's her name? I believe it's Juliana Robertson, 
or Jillian Robertson. Yeah. Uh, uh, she's a really, really good grappler. Dude, a lot of fighters that I'm excited to see on here. But, Bill, um, out of those names I mentioned or any of the other fights on this card, what's standing out to you, bud? Uh, it's always cool to see Lil Nog on a card, uh, and he's going to be taking on Sam Alvey. So this has the potential to be a really competitive fight or a, a really kind of dull, uh, <laughs> you know, technical battle. Uh Either way, I'm kind of looking forward to that one. Henan Burrell and Andre uh, Yule uh, should be a really interesting fight. Uh, Henan Burrell is, is one of these guys that a lot of people forget how how dominant he was for the longest time. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see him back in there. He's been in kind of a weird uh, holding pattern lately in the UFC because you know his, his division is just a little bit tied up right now at the top and uh you know a couple of losses against some really tough competition you know ever since uh his his knockout losses to tj dillashaw he hasn't been able to find his footing so hopefully he is or hopefully we're able to uh build a new contender in andre yule uh you know who, who's a tough guy coming up and he's he's on a uh, four fight win streak so that should be a fun fight and then, uh, let's see what else on this car. You know what really jumps out to me, Jeff, <laughs> is Talos Latis and Hector Lombard. Uh, <laughs> this should oh, be wow. a fun one. Uh, these are two top shelf grapplers uh, in, in different disciplines. Uh, and, and Hector Lombard, even though he's 40 years old, has got some nasty knockout power. He's coming off a, a five-fight losing streak. <laughs> And he's been bouncing back and forth between welterweight and middleweight. Um, I I can't tell you why, but I'm interested in this fight because usually uh, when you get two high level grapplers, you get a really awesome stand up war. Uh, so so I'm kind of looking forward to that one. What's jumping off the page to you here, Jeff? Um, Bill, I'll be honest with you. I hadn't even seen Latest versus Lombard because it's tucked away in the early fight pass prelims. And I don't know why. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but dude, Hector Lombard, um, a high level jujitsu, I mean, I'm sorry, ju uh, judoka. And for those of you who don't know, Cuba is, um, one of their main sports is grappling. Uh, Bill, my barber, who I haven't seen in a while and I need to go to, is um is cuban and he used to tell me that um the biggest sports there are judo and wrestling and you know it's really easy to find a gym so i'm really excited to see hector lombard talis leitas high level jujitsu um i think this one's gonna be a barn burner but dude the fight that i'm most excited for i gotta be honest with you i think it's gonna be cowboy Oliveira versus petter soli and aside from the main event i think this is another um early uh early finish for one of these guys uh carlo petter soli i remember seeing him recently he had a really really good fight recently and cowboy Oliveira, so much power such technical multi i think this one's gonna end early yeah, for sure. So Petrosoli just coming off a, a split decision win over Bradley Scott. So, uh, you know, he's slowly increasing tougher competition in the UFC. 11-1, uh, so impressive record. And I think the reason Talos Latis and Hector Lombard is on the early prelims is because Talos Latis has lost five of his last seven, and Hector Lombard has lost five in a row. But these are two guys that, um, you know, you just keep around for the fuck of it, I guess. Um so we already talked about uh, Fabricio Verdum testing positive. Uh, I kind of breezed over it. Uh, so he's facing a two-year suspension, and he's pushing 40 years old. So I have to imagine this is going to be the end of Fabricio Verdum. I don't imagine he keeps his broadcasting job either, which he's gotten fired from in the past for doing some dumb shit. Um, I, I think it was for... Uh, wearing Nike on Instagram and saying Reebok sucks or something. So here's a guy who's faced a lot of controversy in his career just because he's like kind of a dick. And um, I, I don't know, but also one of the most exciting heavyweight fighters ever. So hopefully um, 
he's remembered for that and not being such an asshole and for testing positive for steroids at, at the end of his career. But what were your thoughts on this announcement, Jeff? Um, it's a shame, dude. It really is because um, Fabrizio Verdum has been doing some unprofessional things, uh, so, some boneheaded mistakes, and it's like, come on, son. You know, you've, you've worked it before. You're like 40. Come on, man. You got to get it together, you know? Um, yeah. So uh, I, I don't know what to say about this, man. Um, I think his UFC career is basically wrapped up. He, you know, he's up there in years. This is his second stint with the UFC, actually. I don't see a third one in the works after this. Yeah, for sure, especially for a guy who's known for uh, getting way out of shape when he's not training. And you start doing that into your forties. Uh, I don't see him bouncing back. So unfortunate end, or pretty much end to the career of Fabricio Verdum. But also, don't do steroids. So there's that. Um, one last thing, Jeff. Last night was some type of uh, boxing match that I had zero interest in, but uh, you told me you were going to watch it, so I figured I'd get your take on it. A rematch between Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez. And of course, the reason why I had no interest in this event is because the last time they fought, I felt was an embarrassment to the sport of boxing. I have not wanted to watch a boxing match since uh, this abomination where Gennady Golovkin uh, basically dominated the fight against Canelo Alvarez. And then Adelaide Bird, who I don't know how she still has a job as a judge. And this goes back to the conversation about there needs to be some kind of checks and balances here scored the fight as a win for Canelo Alvarez. And one of the other judges scored a draw, which, uh, okay. If you're going to, if you're going to fudge the numbers, cause somebody paid you off, like at least make it believable. Like it was a draw. Uh, but Adelaide bird really dropped the ball on this one. Um, it scored it for Canelo and, and the fight was, was a draw, even though, Clearly a better boxer that night was Gennady Golovkin. Uh, a lot of people saying uh, that the fight last night was much more competitive from what I read. I just kind of skimmed Twitter about it this morning. Uh, it was much more competitive, but it seems a lot of people still think Golovkin won uh, and the decision victory going to Canelo Alvarez. So I have no intention of watching this fight, even though people are hyping it up as a very competitive fight. I just don't care. But if you caught this one, Jeff, what were your thoughts? Bill, I thought that was a really good introduction. And now you made me feel bad because I didn't watch it. I ended up falling asleep. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. Uh, Dude, it was like 20 minutes before the fight. And I just, I kept dozing off. I kept closing my eyes. And every time uh-huh. I opened my eyes, the fight still wasn't on. So I was like, you know what? Forget this. I'm losing out on good sleep. So I just went to sleep. Um, but, Bill, uh, from I did check Twitter this morning and, uh, you know, just Google itself. And it was looking like it's basically Golovkin 2-0 against Canelo Alvarez here. And as much as I am a fan of Canelo Alvarez, I don't appreciate the fact that he's been caught doping and – I, I just I can't stand how rigged boxing is, you know, and this is really, really concerning for me as an MMA fan because I feel like there have been a lot of fights in MMA already where, well, at least in the UFC, where it's kind of looking like boxing judging where, you know, um, clearly one fighter won, but it got called a draw or it went to the other fighter. And, Bill, it's, it's really concerning because... I enjoy competitive fights, even if they are decisions, but it's basically come coming to the point where you can't leave it to the judges in boxing. Um, and, you know, boxing was never very appealing to me as a kid, and my dad really enjoyed it. And I just, it, you know, it wasn't for me. And now that I'm older, I like it a little bit more, but it's, it's really off-putting, man, the way these judges are calling these things. Yeah, fuck boxing. And the scary thing is that MMA probably would be in the same state, but there's just not enough money to go around to pay off the judges. I mean, it's a lot of the a lot of the same judges are are working for the same athletic commission that's governing MMA and, and boxing, scarily enough. And the priorities are just in the wrong place. I mean, let this guy Canelo Alvarez 
what two months after he was tested positive for steroids, they they hit they let him get in there. He passed out at the weigh-ins, and yeah. then uh, he didn't get his hands wrapped in time, which is why they kept pushing back the main event. It's like, uh, he it's an embarrassment to Oscar De La Hoya who as the promoter. Like, he, you should have people who are you know, really good project managers in charge of the timelines here. Like make sure the fighters have their hands wrapped, you know, make sure they show up on time. You know, there should be people taking care of this shit. And it's really embarrassing uh, when it doesn't happen. And now, um, now we got to have this asshole putting on a MMA event in November. And the, the press conference with Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz was just embarrassing. Neither of these guys should be sanctioned to fight by an athletic commission. Uh, it's really going to be an embarrassment to the sport of MMA. So Oscar De La Hoya tarnishing boxing. Uh, and now I guess he wants to, to bring MMA down with a sinking ship. So fuck that guy. Uh, and I don't plan on watching another boxing match until they put Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua together. Um, and I don't see that happening anytime soon. Until then, I don't have any interest in boxing. And uh, I've stated my opinion before on Chuck Liddell and Tito. And after hearing them talk trash to each other, um, I'm even more embarrassed for this debacle. So in any case, I guess we'll end on a high note, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, unless you have anything else you want to get off your chest today. No, it's just every time you mention Oscar de la Hoya, I picture him in heels with fishnets on <laughs> because <laughs> dude used to have a really bad drinking problem. And if you haven't seen this picture, go just give yourself some laughs and go Google Oscar de la Hoya in fishnets and heels because that's still that actually happened. One of the greatest boxers of all time with a really bad drinking problem, just embarrassing himself. Uh, he did it more than once in the embarrassment department. So, you know, I, I don't know if I can take him seriously as a promoter anymore, man. And, and sadly, that picture is the last good thing he's ever done because <laughs> at least it was amusing and we've got a lot of great memes <laughs> out of it. And it keeps resurfacing every time he does something stupid. The guy hasn't done anything to contribute to combat sports since. At least that picture was funny. Uh, in any case, fuck Oscar De La Hoya. Uh, <laughs> if you want to talk about MMA, you can get a hold of Jeff on Twitter at animal underscore Wilson. And, of course, you guys know how to get a hold of me. It's at MMA on the Rocks. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, please subscribe. Please leave us reviews on iTunes or Google Play or YouTube or wherever you happen to be uh, consuming the podcast. And uh, keep sending us feedback. Let us know what you're thinking and drinking out there. We always appreciate it. Until next time, cheers, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>